the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. fans and welcome to JJ, the JJ Dillon podcast. I am your co-host JP John Paz and with me as always is the star of the show, two-time Hall of Famer, the leader of the Four Horsemen, the second greatest manager of all time, former WWF and WCW executive James J. Dillon. JJ, how are you doing this evening? John, great to talk with you and uh Boy, the weeks just fly by, but I I, yeah. I look forward yeah. to this time. I really do enjoy the conversation. Man, they are flying by, and this is really technically episode nine, and we're actually going to be talking about WrestleMania eight, Indianapolis, Indiana, huge show. But JJ, last week we kind of touched on and dabbled on it a little bit. Pat Patterson going on hiatus, Terry Garvin getting fired. So much craziness is going on around WrestleMania eight, and it all involves you or you know is going to involve you pretty much yeah i was i was a uh one of the players and and uh, when i first uh basically enjoyed the and joined the creative team uh it it was patent and myself uh working in the office during the week and then <clears throat> all the creative uh was done on the weekends in a relaxed atmosphere at vince's home Summertime out by the pool, and he had like a covered cabana with a bank of phones. Oftentimes, I uh, watched Stephanie with her young, with her girlfriends <laughs> playing and splashing in the pool. And and when the weather got a little bit cooler, uh, we would actually convene in Vince's formal dining room, and it would be long days that uh, many many of those uh, uh, weekend nights that you know that they wouldn't because I, I lived about probably forty five minutes from there. And uh, they had a beautiful home in Greenwich, and of course they uh, would. I spent many of those nights, uh, you know, with dinner at their table, breaking bread. So it was a, a a fun a time of fond memories for me. So crazy when you look back at that time period. So much going on. Terry Garvin scandal, obviously Pat with that get suspended got the steroid controversy going on you got hogan thinking about leaving for hollywood you got warrior making his way back in you got sid who they're trying to build up as kind of the next hogan then you got flair in the mix you got macho man coming after the title you got so many moving parts so many different things it's so many insane things going on was it a pretty hard task when pat gets suspended and they put you in that role and and boom biggest show of the year you're in charge 
Well, just to list the names that you mentioned, uh, you know, if I could drop myself at a, at a time and place in the history of the business, um, that would be a time I probably would have selected by choice just because of the, of the, uh, the players in the industry at that point. Uh, and I was accustomed to working with Pat and the situation with basically the whole scandal had to do with Terry Garvin, who was in charge of the ring crew. And there were a bunch of young guys and somehow, um, uh, a story hit the New York newspapers and talked about appropriate, uh, inappropriate things going on. And that cast a shadow over Terry Garvin. And because Terry Garvin reported to Pat, uh, that put Pat in a, in a tough situation. And, um, because of all the negative publicity, uh, there was a period of time where, you know, basically Pat w was on hiatus, not because of anything that he had done, but just because of, uh, you know, all the, all the negative publicity and the fact that, uh, Terry Garvin had, I regarded Terry Garvin as a friend, but he had, he had been, uh, you know, a close friend of Pat's for many, many years. So it was, it was a tough time. When you're putting this show together and everything's coming to a head, the Royal Rumble obviously leads into it, and Ric Flair wins the world title in the best Royal Rumble match they've ever had. They haven't really been able to top it since. Such an amazing list of characters in that match. Such a great finish, obviously, with Sid throwing Hogan over. So you kind of tease in Sid Hogan there, but also kind of leading to what you think it's going to be. Flair Hogan, and last week we talked about how obviously it ends up not materializing, and Hogan Flair wasn't as big as box office as you thought. You think it this dream match that was supposed to happen, maybe should have happened, could have happened, was it all the box office, or was it one of those things where it was too little too late as far as maybe if it was a few years earlier, it could have been the headliner? Well, in, in analyzing this situation, uh, after the fact, uh, w one of the arguments was that we we held held that match off uh, for too long. That the the fans uh, had interest in it. We held it back and didn't give it to them. And we're and we're not talking about a couple months. It was years. And then when we when we finally did it, uh, it 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 didn't have the luster that we all anticipated it would. But and I and I've said this before and I'll repeat it again that that's the uniqueness of this business and I always regarded myself as a student of the business um, a business in which you never stop learning and that includes uh, up to, to today with uh, you know even with 60 plus years uh, around the business in some capacity whether it was from you know hauling the ring and refereeing uh, up through my through my career to a point where I'm I proudly uh, have two Hall of Fame rings. So uh, basically I've done it all and seen it all. And I, I, I think I probably interacted, either met or interacted or worked for or worked with virtually uh, anybody and everybody that's the who's who of our business. But that was a, uh, it was a unique time. Um, Terry Garvin, uh, uh, when we moved from Atlanta, Terry Garvin, uh, was was very close to Pat, and he was running towns. And Terry uh, kept telling me, "Well, you know, Vince and Pat 
you know, their your your name is being thrown around because they they need help, and uh, a lot of good things are being said about you by a lot of people, and uh, it just it was a situation where the circumstances actually with WCW being sold from Crockett to the Turner organization. Um, there were a lot of people who weren't really sure the Turner people said all of the right things. They did due diligence and, uh, sat down with all the key players and myself included a, a real lengthy interview wanting to know about background because they weren't, uh, all wrestling people. It was a, a broadcast company and actually there were very few people in it, um, who had actually background in the business so they were wanting to to learn as much as they could on the fly and uh, the question was well you know how, how it's not a business that you can you know go and and you know lock yourself in a room for a week with uh, with a, with a group of people who have knowledge and experience and understand the business <laughs> I'm I've been around it for 60 plus years I'm still learning uh, and it's an ever-changing business. You you think you got it all figured out, then something comes up where you realize that oh boy, I thought I've had this. I thought I had a handle on everything, and and you find that you don't. And the fans uh, are. It, it's a, first of all, it's a talent-driven business. So if you look at the history of the business, uh, you can go back to Luthez, who was the NWA champion for like. A period of 25 years which is uh unbelievable that one person could, of course he had the the uh, uh the amateur credentials he was a legitimate tough guy so it's not surprising that he was a, a premier player in the industry but um it's it's something that's a talent driven business and in in many cases uh, it, i don't know in today's market if somebody like Luthez, even with all his talent and, and his credentials, uh, the, 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 the audience today is, I don't know, fickle is not a good word, but, and this applies not only to wrestling, but I think everything in, uh, in, in entertainment for sure. And in life that, um, they're, they're, you know, they, they want change. They want something different. They always want something new. And I remember being on the road and, and, in, in the territory days and the, the fans don't understand that. Like if I was going to say Kansas city, okay, I go to Kansas city. So I got to lo relocate there, take my family. I got children, school age, put them in school, find an apartment. You find an apartment, uh, you need to sign at least a six month lease in many cases, a year lease. So it's a commitment to move there. And you, you got to, have confidence in your own ability and hope that, uh, you know, all of the, the, uh, you know, the thought that you put into it and, and what you've heard about a particular territory, if you haven't worked there before, you know, all comes to fruition so that you do well financially to provide for your family. And for me, I was very fortunate. Uh, most of my moves were someplace where I would go and be able to stay for a year, which is helpful because then, if it's anything shorter than that, you leave, you've got to go somewhere else. You got to put deposits down on everything. And, uh, there's kids in school. There's, there's so many aspects that the, the average fan doesn't realize that, 
you know, that these are some of the pressure. They see you on TV and they right away assume, oh, you're a star on television. Uh, you know, you're incredibly popular. And, and the fact we see you on TV means that you're making all kinds of money and you're rich. And and that's not always the case, depending on the territory and how, how well business is doing. And I, I know of cases where uh, business was just so-so, but there was that thing in, in my book. I think I devote a chapter to it, which I call the myth. The myth being that wrestling fans, because they see you on television, realize that, oh, you're a star. They must be paying you ridiculous sums of money and you're rich and you're famous. And some guys, depending on where they are and where they location-wise and where they are in their career, a lot of guys, it's... Uh, you know, they just, they're, they're just making a living. And because of this, uh, image that a lot of fans have, a lot of guys would go out and give them where they were and the income that they had coming in, uh, would go out and buy, buy cars that if they just looked at their budget, realized that they were going way over budget in terms of what they were paying for car payments. But many of them looked at it as well. If I if I drove anything less, the fans would look at me and they'd say, "Well, something's wrong. This is you know this is not the image that we thought." So, a lot of guys uh, would go, and depending on the territory, a lot of times, basically come into town, uh, have a decent run, but in the end, have spent it all just living up to the uh, to the image of what I call the myth. That is such a great point, and you know you mentioned it being a talent-driven business and the fans always kind of wanting to change, always wanting something new. Was Vince McMahon wanting something new in 92? Like, did he want to go away from Hulk Hogan? Was Hulk Hogan really going to Hollywood? And you think the fans wanted like, somebody different than Hogan at that point? It didn't seem like it, but what do you, what do you think from the inside? Did they, did they want Hogan gone, and was Hogan willing to be gone? Well, I mean, Hulk wanted to do other things. And, uh, when you're at the, at the top of this, of this business, I, I think it's common to, uh, to want to expand and do other things. Uh, I, I saw it with Dusty, Dusty, uh, when you, when you become a, a main eventer and a, and an icon star, you with all the adjectives you want to use, uh, when you reach that level, um, you, you, you can only go so high. Now, you, you can say, okay, well, if you're uh, a major star in the uh, in Kansas City or something, if you go to New York, which has larger population centers in that, that geographic territory, that would be considered a step up. Where you, if you go there, which is why a lot of guys you know, dreamed of the opportunity to go to New York, because um, if, if you're in Kansas City your major town is Kansas city. But then once a month, St. Louis would run, which would be a big town, but it wasn't a weekly town, New York. If you worked in the New York territory, uh, not only do you have Madison square garden every third week, but you have Boston, you have, uh, Providence, you have new Haven, you have Philadelphia, you have Pittsburgh, you have Washington, DC. I mean, you, you got some, some big population centers that, um, uh, the chances of, of having venues where you could do well financially 
uh, are much greater in, in the quote-unquote New York territory. And, and I feel like Hogan kind of did everything. And, and really, I mean, how much further on top can he get? Biggest star in history business, making money hand over fist. Is that one of those things where Vince is like, okay, he's bigger than the World Wrestling Federation at that point? Uh, my personal assessment was that that Hulk was a phenomenon that, that doesn't come along, but maybe once in a lifetime. Vince also was uh, someone who uh, was a visionary. And I think I've said this in prior episodes that it wasn't always instant success for Vince. Um, he bought the New Haven, I think it was the New Haven Coliseum. Uh, and it went bankrupt and he, and he bought a hockey team. It went bankrupt. So, and, and this was his own money. Uh, so it, it took a while, but at least in the New York area or, or the Northeast, I should say, you had enough major population centers that if you, if, and again, it's a talent driven business. So if you got the right talent that gets over with the people and that, that's a challenge, because you, you never really know. You look at a Hulk Hogan, you look at a Ric Flair, uh, you look at a Macho Man Randy Savage. These are these are talents that um, you can pretty well feel confident because of the track record they have and their work ethic. That in a big market like that, when they come in, if they get the push on TV, which obviously they're going to get because you you want to maximize their impact, uh, the, the you know they're going to do business and. And because they've been successful everywhere they went, if you come into a territory and they get the push, you're, uh, you, you know that it's going to help your business. Around WrestleMania 8, there's so much going on. Like we kind of mentioned Hogan possibly leaving. They kind of keep alluding to it, it being his last match. And obviously it changes, like we mentioned a few times, changes from Flyer to Sid. Did you really expect that to be Hogan's last match? Was this kind of the, the swan song for the Hulkster? Uh, you, you never know. I didn't assume that that was. And at the same time, I didn't assume that it definitely wouldn't be. Uh, when you when you reach the, the epitome of your profession, as has happened with Hulk and happened with Flair, um, we're... And it's human nature. People like that got to that point because they were driven, had had uh, ambition, were self-motivated. And one natural uh, thing was with movies. And Hulk, Hulk did a couple movies where uh, he got crossover um, uh, exposure and notoriety for, for do, doing well in movies. So... That was a natural thing that if you ha if you're a wrestling promoter and you have a guy that you're pushing who is a big talent and then that talent only wants to work X number of days a month and he wants to make movies, uh, that may be good for the talent if, if all of that works. But if if you're in the wrestling business, you, you need a commitment from somebody that's basically a full-time wrestler. Uh, at least I found that out from all my experience and all my years in the business. Uh, you can't can't really do it on a part part time basis. I feel like with this WrestleMania in particular had so much going on, but the star power is just insane. 
and you make it a double main event, Savage versus Flair, Hogan versus Sid. Is that on purpose as far as thinking like, okay, maybe we're losing some steam here because of all the controversies. We're really going to load the top part of the card. Or what was the kind of the thought process in making the double main event? Well, I'm trying to think back and, and to be honest with you, uh, uh, I've said this before joking, but it's true. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So to, to think, <laughs> think back of what my mindset was at that time, um, it's like if you have somebody as big as Hulk and, and Hulk is talking about wanting to do other things, you, you don't want to get caught blindsided where all of a sudden, you know, well, I got a chance to make a movie and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm leaving in 10 days and I'm committed to that project. And it's like, well, you know, you in this business, especially with TV and how TV bicycles around, you, you you can't adjust to that in that quick a time without your business uh, being impacted negatively. So um, you're always healthiest if if and you and you can't you can't in a promotion have a, a, the, there's a top level of superstars. You can't have ten of them. Because then they're not all superstars. It has to be a, a smaller number. And, you know, you always have to be looking about, you know, the next star coming up. And be, and if, if, if you lose one of them, who's a guy that you can elevate that, that the fans have shown that there's something about them that they like, that it factor again, that you could give them an opportunity and, and feel pretty good that uh, the fans would, would accept it and support them. Guarantee that's going to happen? Nope. But a good chance, and especially the longer you're in the business, the more experience that you have under your belt uh, as to how territories are run and, and what you need to do to keep your business good. Uh, in other words, you need to have experience. That you can't just step in and do it from a, from a uh, creative standpoint, being somebody that's behind creative. And you need some depth. You 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 can't have, like I say, ten superstars. You got to focus on, on two, and then maybe have uh, two to four underneath of it. Uh, and if you have a tag team, that that gives you a little more flexibility. But it also ties up. Uh, if you have a tag match, then in one match you're tying up four marquee names because you got a you got a heel team that's hot. Then you you need baby faces that are comparable that people are gonna want to see that match, but now that ties up four talent in that one match, and a lot of people never really stop to think of it that way. But if you're in charge charge of creative, that's the reality of how it is. If you think about right now, as far as heading into WrestleMania, there's going to be so much influx of change. It's crazy. Piper's going to take a hiatus. Hogan is supposed to be leaving for Hollywood. Sid would soon thereafter, which is crazy. Two main eventers, uh, technically main eventers, are going on last. They're both going to be gone soon. Warrior returns. Jake the Snake is going to be leaving. I mean, it's just so crazy. Did you know all this going in, that there's going to be so many moving parts as far as, okay, we're booking the card, then right after it, all this change is going to happen? Well, the worst, the worst thing that can happen is to have wholesale changes as you're describing and having them all happen at one time. I would say it's virtually impossible to be able to adjust to that. 
you have you would have to do it in incremental stages uh, to to make the adjustment. And the hardest part, you, you know, the I always said the hardest part was baby faces too. A heel, you can bring in an Abdullah the Butcher, or you can bring in um, somebody that's a monster heel, and he can go out and just a lot of times say it's Abdullah the Butcher, just his his physical appearance, and he goes in and destroys some people. He he can become a, a pretty hot commodity in relatively short order. You know, you want to balance that with somebody who's a uh, a wrestling heel that can give you uh, uh, more diverse matches, uh, give you longer time. You know, if you, if you have Abdullah Butcher, you, you can't have him going out going 18 minutes every night because then he wouldn't be Abdullah the Butcher anymore. So you have to have a a, a package to 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 go with. And it's, it's the other thing about guys get hurt. A guy that you feel you're committed to, he's, he's happy where you are, you're, uh, you're booking him properly, he's gotten over with the people, you make sure that uh, he's properly compensated so he's happy. But then somebody gets hurt. That's something that, that's the worst thing that can happen because if it's a serious enough injury, if it's a minor injury, most guys that are at that level can go out and work through it. In other words, you put them, you put them in double main events where they don't have to go real long, and the other match goes long, and and it's the package, and until they they get a chance to recover from whatever their injury is. It's why it's the most unique business in the world because there are so many. Um, so many parts to the puzzle, and with that, there are so many things, therefore, that could go wrong. Some of which you get blindsided for, some of which you know where Hulk's announced that uh, he's got a chance to make a movie, and you know that in six weeks he's going to be gone, and you you got to make an adjustment for that. It's uh, it can be very stressful. I can imagine it's crazy. So much going on. And, of course, I didn't even mention yet, but the Legion of Doom, one of the most popular tag teams, of course, of that period, but of all time, they're supposed to face Money, Inc. It doesn't happen. They're still on the show. Paul Ellering makes his debut for the WWF, and they just have a promo with Mean Gene. But I believe, if the rumor is correct, Hawk was suspended, so they didn't have an actual match in the show. Do you remember what happened with the Legion of Doom at that point? Um, hmm. I remember, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, it was, uh, I remember it with Tully, I think it was Tully and Arn, and they were coming back into Atlanta when I was there, and they were an established team, and where well, we had all kinds of plans, and the, and the uh, random drug tests mm-hmm. were, were, were a reality, They and it was something that it, it wouldn't have had credibility if you knew well in advance when the tests were going to be and could tell the guys to be on their best behavior. If you do that, you, you don't really have, uh, it's not really a legitimate drug test. So uh, I never knew when the test was going to be, uh, uh, or I would know like at four o'clock, Somebody would call and say, "Well, make sure make sure you get to the building. Uh, I know you get there early, but it's real important today because when you get there, there'll be a doctor there." 
okay, and I know what's going on. And when the guys came in, as soon as they walked through the door, the first thing you had to do was, you know, have them go in and uh, leave their sample. And it it was it it was a thing where the the doctors who who did it uh, would immediately take the sample, and the first thing they would do was record the temperature. So it wasn't like a guy could have a clean specimen and keep it in a vial in his in his pocket and get to the thing. Oh, there's a drug test and be able to switch it out. Then he it wouldn't meet the uh, uh, the proper temperature level that it would be suspect and. And um, it's, it's, there were a lot of challenges. In other words, there was a, a good, good faith effort to keep the, the random drug tests as legitimate as possible. But the one situation, where, I'm trying to think with Tully and Arn, where um, they were coming in as a tag team. They were hot. And I want to say... Uh, with all they're both all my friends and as i'm just talking about historic so i'm not talking about something that wasn't known at the time but i want to say that uh i think it was tully that got got flagged and when mm-hmm. it happens yes. when i when it happens it's not it's not like well this will take effect in three weeks it's on the spot and so they were coming in and and going to be featured now if it's tully and arn it diminishes Arn's value because as great a talent as Arn is, and to me, he's one of the all-time greats. But at that particular time, he was being brought in as part of that Arn Tully team. And the day they arrive, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Tully's on the shelf for six weeks. And that puts Arn in a terrible situation because he would have uh, anticipated going jumping right in in a main event spot and not losing any momentum from where he came from and now he's on ice for six weeks uh very it was very stressful for me as a as the person in charge of creative stressful on tully for him saying well I, you know i just used a poor judgment and how does that affect the relationship with Arn? Because now Arn was coming in with anticipation of what they were going to do uh, financially, and that's not going to happen for for uh, you know at least six weeks. And coming in with all the buildup, it's not like you can put the buildup on hold and have that same impact once one of the players uh, in a team is available and you suddenly put them out there and. And, and try and recreate, you know, what you would have had six or eight weeks ago. Right, and that's exactly the same situation that happens with Hawk and Animal with the Legion of Doom. And, you know, Haw- I guess Hawk got busted, still able to appear on the show and do the interview, but um, obviously not wrestling, cancels the plans against Bunny Inc., and it kind of builds up more towards the big SummerSlam confrontation that they're about to have. But... As far as getting into the actual show, the British Bulldog versus Berserker match doesn't happen due to time constraints. It gets cut off the show. Is that something going in, you know that there's a couple matches that are on the fringe and they just may not happen? I was always in charge of timing shows, uh, which included, uh, if you're just doing TV shows where you're recording segments, it's not as critical. 
But if you were doing Clash of Champions or if you're uh, like when we would do, do the TBS studio show, it would be taped, but it would be live to tape. In other words, they didn't want to have to have somebody at six o'clock being there to do edits. I mean, in other words, they treated it as you would come on the air at two o'clock and you would run it as if it is six o'clock right up till four and then, or three, whatever the time was. And then the guys would run out to f fly to the airport. And I remember we, we would go through Wendy's drive through and get a sack of food and hit the airport and, and, and be eaten on, on the plane going to the town because that's how, how tight the schedule was. And with WrestleMania eight, you had bulldog and berserker getting cut. Cause it was, I guess it was going to be a short match anyway, but that gets cut. But then you think about the match that's right before the main event, Owen Hart and Skinner is only a minute and 36 seconds. So that's a short match. So when you're timing it out, just, is that because some of the matches went long, some of them went short? Like what what happened in this you know particular specific show that these matches either get cut or they're cut extremely sh short? I I don't have a specific recollection of that particular scenario, but let, let's say for example uh, the uh, the regular TBS show was again recorded live to tape. But in real time, they would have two minute mm -hmm. breaks before, so that when it went to air, the only thing that that somebody sitting there would be able to put it in, run it. And where there were commercials, they would have, you know, two minutes and two seconds of blank. But then that's somebody there could push a button with a commercial that was keyed up. And, it, you know, one person who was you know, experienced at that that could do it. Class of Champions was a little bit different. And like I say, I, I timed everything. And what I would do, um, I, would know who I, I would know who all the players were. And as an example, uh, if there was going to be a match, and I would say to the one guy, how much, how much uh, because we would give him a cue to go home, how much, how much time do you need from getting a cue to win the one, two, three, and go to a break. And some guys in good faith would say, oh, I, I only need a, a minute. Well, <laughs> a minute is a lot, real short period of time. Or they'd say a, a minute. And, and you learn from experience who, um, if a guy tells you a minute and a half, you know in reality it's going to be two and a half, if not 245. And you have to know that so you can't take their word for it. I mean, they tell you that in good faith because a lot of times these guys don't have a sense, you know, their emphasis is what's going on in the ring when they get a cue and, and sometimes things take longer than they, than they thought. But if a guy tells you a minute and a half and you know that every time you give him a minute and a half cue, it's two and a half minutes. So then mm -hmm. I would factor that in. And what I used to do, was I would take the whole show and it would be a two-hour show and I would know what the, I would allow, say, two minutes for the opening, a minute for the close. I would know what all the commercials were and I would take the total commercial times, back that out of the show, and then it's a two-hour show. 
I would have an actual content time of when the light came on and they're in the ring to uh, when they would go to a break. And then I would know how many matches were involved, who the players were, and then I would sit and play with the times of uh, uh, you, you don't want to uh, uh, somebody that's out there that can give you a quality match for six minutes on TV and ask them to go 12 or 15 minutes. Uh, that nobody, nobody benefits from that. So you know who is capable of giving you a longer time, and then you learn from experience when I say to a guy, uh, how much cue do you need to, to, to go home? Oh, just a minute. Well, you know that a minute is actually two, two and a half minutes. So you have to factor that in. I'm going to send the guy out there. This Gene Anderson used to walk out in the back, just stand there with his arms folded. The referee would see Gene come out. He would buzz the guys, go home. And this is before earpieces and that kind of thing. So that, that it was, just, it was just that simple. And then I would, take the whole show i would know what the uh commercial time open and close commercial time was back that out of the show and i would have a body of content then i would look at how many matches there were and i'd start roughly allocating i can get so many quality minutes out of this one this one i can have going fast and then adjust and then i would would start with a with a timesheet of the whole show, and then I would I would then start in real time, six o'clock opening, first match, commercial, and so going into each commercial, I would know whether I was running long or running short, so that I didn't get blindsided all of a sudden at the end of the show with oh my god what am I going to do now? In other words, I knew each step of the way if I was good on time tight on time and to what degree and then I can make adjustments and I I got to be very good at it <laughs> the problem was that nobody else understood what I was doing in my system and it wasn't something that and I didn't do that but just by design to like keep it a secret it just was something that I did well and I just did it without the thought because what happened was when, when, when I left, and I think it was a clash of the champions that, that came on right after I left, and whoever was in charge of time, it ended up, um, they ran out of time and went off the air while one match was still in the ring and not into their finish, and there was another whole match that never got to air. When I was wow. there... That wouldn't have happened because I was <laughs> I was on top of it each step of the way. But again, nobody looked over my shoulder, asked what I was doing. So it, I didn't, by design, like keep it a secret as a as a, a power thing, because that was never my trip. It's just that I did it, was experienced at it, confident in my system, and I could time all. I could talk to everybody, see what the matches were, time it all out. And then I would I would start right at the top, six o'clock, and then, you know, opening is this first match, cue to go home, go to break at this, and and have a and I would write the times on on my run sheet, so that I always knew, at at the end of each match, whether I was light on time, or heavy on time, and 
a lot of times Dusty would I would I would know who could give me quality time and who couldn't and then um a lot of times guys that I thought would have a good match and I like Dusty all Dusty never he trusted me to do everything and didn't worry about it. And then he and he would st- all he did was stand at the monitor and uh he, he would look at the show and he's just assessing in real time if it's going well or not going well a quality show or whatever i'm the one entrusted with all the details and there were times where dusty would be standing there watching and then maybe i thought a mat i thought two guys uh, had chemistry and would be really good and for whatever the reason which you don't know a match kind of just wasn't living up to expectations and dusty would he i would be sitting there with paper in front of me and i and and I'm watching a clock, and all Dusty would sit there and watch it from a fan's p- perspective, sitting at home, and he would be up there watching, and it didn't happen a lot or great regularity. Dusty would be standing there, and he wouldn't even turn around. He would just look, and he would say, uh, "James, how much longer do I have to look at this shit?" <laughs> Excuse my language. That's what he would say. And I would look down, and I would know that I needed about another minute and 20 seconds. I said, Dream, just grit your teeth. I need another minute and 20 seconds, and I can't pick it up anywhere else. I'm, I, if I just sent them home, um, I'm already stretching something else that I'm compounding the problem. Just bear with it for that extra minute, and hopefully these guys will kick it in, and it isn't as obvious. And, and he, he would never question what I was doing or how I did it. He was just looking in real time and seeing something that, because he puts the show together, match the match and looking at it. And eh, uh, he, he's just expressing his immediate sentiments. And I, and I'm always challenged with having to look at the, at, at the big picture, but we, we were, we worked together for so many years. We worked together. Uh, I went to to Florida as a booker, first time ever, and did not realize, I thought that I had the ability to have good ideas, to put together a TV show, and, and I, I came to find out real quickly that there's a whole lot more to then just structuring a good TV show and having good matches that a, all the successful bookers, I came to realize very quickly, whether it was Watts, whether it was Dusty, whether it was whoever would come in to book, they would come in and they would bring with them usually three or four of their quote unquote, their guys, their crew. So in other words, if Dusty's coming in, and I, I can't remember names, but if Dusty's coming in and he would have these four guys come in with him, whether it's Abdullah or whatever, that's going to have impact. It's not just Dusty. It's Dusty as a talent, but it's the people that come in at the same time that all of a sudden have this impact that, wow, boy, the whole whole thing has a different look. It's because of uh, the people that surrounded him. Uh, I didn't realize that. At first, I thought it was more uh, having good ideas, being able to put together a TV show. And I realized very quickly that 
I didn't have a crew of guys that were quote unquote, my guys. I was basically pioneer pioneering a, uh, a new aspect of the business, something that I felt that I could handle, do well at, but never realized that there was that component of having a crew of guys that, that came in with you that had a track record of success. Now, as far as WrestleMania eight and the card and just kind of going back to that, just want to kind of briefly just go over it, maybe refresh your memory a little bit and, and the fans as well. So at first, the first match of the evening, a dark match, the Bushwhackers, Butch and Luke, defeat the Beverly Brothers. Then the first actual match of the card, Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry defeats Tito Santana. The third match, but really the second match of the actual pay-per-view, Undertaker with Paul Bearer defeats Jake the Snake Roberts. Where did you think... Or what did you really think of Undertaker at this point? Because he's beating a legend in Jake. Jake's going to be on his way out. Big push in store for the Undertaker. Ah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I. When he first came into the, I'm trying to think of where I was that he uh, that that he came in. He was coming in, and. Uh, the first thought he'd been in, he'd been down in Pensacola, I think, and he was coming in and it was like, okay, here's a, a big, impressive guy size wise. And he could do amazing things. He could walk the tightrope, uh, you know, uh, something that, that very few, if any people could do. And he just did some things that, that were phenomenal. And so, uh, I always had good success, which I learned from. Um, I, I mean, I learned from everybody that I ever worked for. But what uh, what they used to do was to take somebody like Big Boss Man. He was Ray Trailer before. He was a big guy and quality worker, and they wanted to change his persona so. In talking to him, and this is back with, with Vince, that come to find out that that he had been in in law enforcement, and so it was like Vince had great success talking to somebody and finding out about their history, and then okay, he was in he was uh, in law enforcement, so that meant. By giving him the uh, the big boss man with a nightstick uh, would would have been a, pers- a a persona in in the wrestling business that would have been kind of touching on part of his past, where mm-hmm. instead of giving him so something so far and character wise that you hope it's going to work, you kind of increases your chances of success by having him do something that he's had some kind of experience in doing in his prior, maybe even breaking in the wrestling business and had great success doing that. And that was something that, uh, I paid attention to as well. And anytime that I ever had anybody come in anywhere, uh, I would use that process of sitting down, talking to them and finding out what their hobbies were, what their interests were, what they did before they got in the wrestling business. 
And that was a, a great example of, of that. Yeah, definitely. And with Mark, a.k.a. Mark Calloway, a.k.a. The Undertaker, mm-hmm. was he, you know, did he have a some sort of, uh, you know, dark background and dark past? Or you just thought, or Vince kind of thought this is a great gimmick, he'll be perfect for it, it'll just work great with him. Yeah, and and what Vince would do too, he would have a interesting first he was going to Vince's first thought was I I think I'm going to maybe have him be a viking you know with the helmet with the with the horns mm. coming out of it. and not saying that that Mark couldn't have made that work but in talking to him uh it just and I I forget what the connection was with uh, whether he had worked in a funeral home or something but anyway it, it the undertaker thing and I remember and it was a fine line, too, because when we unveiled him, um, the music was designed for him. Dun, 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 dun. It was like a funeral thing. And he dropped from the ceiling down at the top of the, of the entrance ramp. And as I remember watching it, watching it, he looked like, which was my worst fear at that moment, he looked like a representation of Jesus Christ on the cross coming down from the ceiling. And I thought, oh, wow. If anybody starts to connect a, 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 a situation where that's how they see it, it may leave a bad taste or a negative uh, reaction to these people which that, thank God, never happened. <laughs> he come down and and uh, it was different. The music was great, and he, and what was so amazing, and I'm amazed to this day, that he got such great reaction doing less. And I remember the impact where they would they would do something to him. He'd be laid out in the ring, and all of a sudden he would sit up like a like a a a uh, dead man walking. He would be like a corpse that came alive. He would sit up and the people would just go, oh, it would, it would, the effect was just unreal. And he's one of the greatest characters I think I ever saw come together in this business. And of course, you know, he had to make it work and he did make it work. And again, I think the amazing part of it is that how little he did. What he did, he did well, and he knew when to do it. And even now, as I look back, he's he's one of the great, great characters in our industry. And I'm I just I'm happy that I even had a small part to play in it. And this is kind of like just the beginning for him, basically. The year before beats Nuka at WrestleMania, and then this year beats Jake, and it starts his obviously huge run that he's about to make. Now, the next match is quite possibly the match of the night. Bret Hart versus Rowdy Roddy Piper for the Intercontinental Championship. Bret Hart, of course, wins and and wins the title. But I think a little bit of controversy in the match surrounding Bret's bleeding. So quite possibly his blading, so to speak. Did you notice that or did uh, he get any sort of trouble? With it? Did Vince notice it? Was there uh, any sort of maybe fine for blading? Uh, 
I've said this before and I'll say it again. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. If you ask me, <laughs> if you, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting to the information that you're giving me match by match. If you, if you had said, well, Pat was on hiatus, he was gone and you'd worked hand in hand with Vince. You booked the card for Indianapolis and that was your baby. So I guess you could say that put a lot of pressure on you was, you know, how much input did you have with the success up to that point? Because now Pat's not here. It's you with Vince. So if that show had fallen flat on its face, I think it would have put a pin in in the balloon of what would have been my stock. Mm. Thank goodness. uh, Put a lot of thought into it. And it was just it was just Vince and I, and uh, I put the card together, and it was a work in progress, and and it just, I guess because I paid attention all those years that uh, was it risky? Yeah, did I have moments that I was like crossing my fingers behind my back? Yes, but not not to say that I never ever host ever overestimated my ability and my contributions and by the same token I never underestimated it either I realized how long I'd been in the business that I that all the territories I'd worked I worked on top everywhere and did extremely well I could interview uh, my managerial career was something that happened by accident and I was in Florida. At the, I know we're skipping around here, but I was in Florida at the time. Had, had just gone into Florida uh, with Roger Kirby as a as a tag team, and Archie Goldie, the Mongolian Stomper, was there as, as was Bearcat Wright, and they were going to Tennessee with Bearcat being Archie's manager. They weren't going two weeks. And because I had known Archie uh, from the little time we were together in Florida and had known him from uh, when I got my break up in the Maritimes, and, and they would bring back the guys that had been on top prior seasons. And you're the new, you're the new guy for the, for the season, but all the old guys that, that had had whole season runs before are now coming back to test, test you. And that was part of, the, of uh, being able to establish you. So I knew Archie from that scenario. So he, he goes to Tennessee with Bearcat. Two weeks go by. Phone rings one day. And he says, Archie, what's up? Oh, man. He said, I came up here to Tennessee. I moved. And he said, the thing with, with uh, Bearcat just, man, it, 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 it was a miserable failure. Uh Sounded good on paper. I felt good about it when I came here. It got so bad, the Bearcat left. And so for a week, I, I had no choice to do my own promos. And that just killed my gimmick. First of all, the the thing from being with Bearcat and then having no manager and trying to, and doing my own promos, which worked for him. He was a good promo guy. He had had a couple of credible runs up in Calgary as a talent. But he had now become established in the business as this monster that you never heard speak and had this image 
And the minute that he spoke, it just, huh? You know? And so he said, uh, oh, he said, I, I got to go. I got to, I have to get out of here. I said, it just, it, it all fell apart. And he said, I've made a couple phone calls. And he said, one of which is I've, I've called Dallas where Red Bastine is the booker for Fritz von Erich. And I can leave and immediately, because everything in this business is timing, right place, the right time. And his call to them was, hey, this is Archie Goldie. And they, they, they were ecstatic about getting a call from him and to have him come in and, you know, knowing that it would give the territory a boost. But he said, I need a manager. And this is Archie telling me. And he said, uh, I listened to your I, I, interviews up in the Maritimes when you were up there getting your break. And I came back in for those three weeks. And he said, he said, uh, you've become one of the best interview guys in the business. And then when I went to Florida, I saw that as well. And he said, so if I have to leave Tennessee and I've got a main event spot in Dallas, but I don't, I, I need a manager. He said, that's the reason I'm calling you. Cause he said, it's a, I think this is just one of those opportunities that, that, that you can't see coming comes along. And he said, I have confidence that you will be a great manager and we can step in to a top spot in Dallas. So, wow. So now it's like never had ever given any thought to, to being a manager. So I said, well, first thing is, uh, and leisure suits were very popular at that point. And I said, I, I guess I could go over here to the, to the store and get a couple leisure suits so that I can dress the part. And I'm sure that I can, I can do it and I can be everything that you want it to be. And, and he said, well, if I didn't have confidence that you were the guy that I would want, he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made this call in the first place. Well, I appreciate, you know, the high praise that you're giving me and that you have that much confidence knowing that you've got a great opportunity, need the manager, and have handpicked me to be the guy. So that was the deal. We went into Dallas, and I bought some leisure suits. I went in as his manager and just exploded the territory. <laughs> so, um, again, right place, right time. And went in there, and 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 what was interesting is Archie. Archie could be very temperamental, and he sometimes. He he, <laughs> it could be a sunny day outside, and Archie would be sitting out there looking, and he could convince himself sitting there looking up. Oh, geez, I look at a couple clouds over there. I can I sense it. Some clouds are coming in, and it's going to rain, <laughs> and. You'd sit there and you'd say, what? <laughs> but he he would take a, a situation and just talk himself into a bad situation. It was unbelievable. And it was, I think it was a, I, I'm not a, I, I never was able to analyze what it was, but it just, other than Archie was his own worst enemy. He would take a situation. And, and we, we got to Dallas and it was like, uh they don't really have any plans for us. It isn't going to work out here. He, and that was not the case, but that was his immediate assessment. 
And what would happen is he had started in the business in Calgary and Stu Hart loved him. And he could go back to Calgary without any prior notice and step in and immediately impact the territory. So when things got bad, first thing he did was call Stu. Stu said, come in, you'll be on TV Saturday. We're off and running. So all of a sudden, Red Bastine calls me and he says, I tried calling Archie and he said, the phone just rings, rings, and nobody answers. I said, ah, he might have been out. He, I don't think he has an answering machine. He might have gone. He might gone. I'll go over to the house and knock on the door. I go over to the house that he had rented, and I look, and I look in the window. The winds all, windows are all up. The shades are all up, and I look, and I see nothing. And so I walk around the back of the house. I'm looking in the bedroom windows. Oh, my God, the place is empty. He's left. <laughs> and so I call Red, and I said, oh, I, I, I said, I went by it hopefully to see Archie and, and kind of whatever was bothering him, bring him down and get everything straight. And I said, and he's, it looks to me like he's just up and left town. Oh man. So they had called, I guess they had had a call from uh, Lonnie Main, who was out in Portland and putting some feelers out, getting ready to leave. And basically they called Lonnie and said, you know, this whole situation happened with Archie. You could be here tomorrow. You got a main event spot, and we'll we'll give you the push. And he said, oh, I need a manager. And they said, we got a manager here. And and he said, We're, we'll, we'll run with it. I'm sure you'll be happy with him, because I don't think I'd ever met him. So that's what happened. He came in, and we immediately off and running and, and had a, had a great run. And I ended up staying there a couple of years and managing several different guys. <laughs> Cause once you had, once you'd established yourself as a manager, it was kind of a shortcut to then have somebody come in and immediately you're their manager and they're immediately uh, a marquee player. So I ended up having a hell of a run there. And my first, uh, you know, when I go back months before that with the phone call from Archie, about managing a, a part of my potential career that I had never given any thought to. And just, again, it's sheer luck of being in the right place at the right time and, and uh, being given the ball and running with it and, and uh, have it all work out. Absolutely, yeah. Now, kind of getting back to the card itself, we were saying, and, you know, you, you, kind of, you didn't remember about the blading. Brett actually does blade in, in the match with Piper, somewhat controversial, I guess, because there's really no blading and no blood at this point. But great some match. some states, some states. Uh, and in the meantime, I know in Maryland, Maryland passed a law that if the the, the minute there was because there's commissioners there, and the minute there was any blood, the the match would be stopped immediately. So even if you ran somebody. If somebody went down and accidentally hit their head and bled, the commissioner would then call for the bell, stop the match, even if it was a dead point in the match. So it was just, it was a, a law that the commission had passed in, in Baltimore, and it was like, hey, there is no blood, which was not a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. Because when you think about it, 
guys that uh, that bleed, and you know your blood, you know, like Krupp used to put the claw on, and you would bleed, and he's got the claw on, and then eventually you come up, and now all that blood is is going into his face, in his eyes, in his mouth. I mean, it's when you think about it, uh, somebody from the medical profession would be horrified with the potential of through just through bloodborne things of being passing something from one person to another. At that point, we just were thinking about the match and getting impact and and doing something that would just get the people extra excited, not thinking of the uh, med- any medical risks. Because if you know if if anybody sees me up close and I was very like King Curtis had these deep grooves down his mm-hmm. head. Yep. Dust, Dusty had them, and I think I bled probably as much as anybody. And all of mine, all of mine were right just up by my hairline on the one side, and I stayed in that one spot. And over a period of time, I mean, if you look closely, you 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 could see the scars. But they're all not there. They would be with my frown lines, and you know you'd still look at them and say, "Oh yeah." If you look close, you'd see them. Uh, and I just—it uh, was just part of the business at, at that that period of time. But I'm not just—I'm mm-hmm. not disfigured for life. All my right. all my wives would probably tell you what an incredibly handsome man I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, but. And the, the kind of the rest of the card, just to run it down, Bossman, Duggan, Slaughter, and Virgil defeat the Mountie, the Nasty Boys, and the Repo Man. Not a very long match, pretty short match, about six minutes, seven minutes or so. The next match, the WWF World Heavyweight Championship, Randy Macho Man Savage with Miss Elizabeth defeat Ric Flair with Mr. Perfect. Great, great match. Between this and Bret Hart and Piper, I mean, those are the two matches tonight. Just awesome, memorable, great match. And a little bit of controversy as well, you know, a little blade job as well. We, like we just talked about bleeding and, and getting in trouble for it and maybe fines or, or, you know, maybe different states have different rules. But a little bit of controversy with the, the whole picture thing with Miss Elizabeth and Flair saying that he's going to show, you know, show some stuff and Macho Man playing on his um, yeah. bitterness and jealousy and stuff like that. Was that, especially for that time period in WBF at this point being PG, was that a little bit? kind of a racy angle to do like flair basically teasing some nudes and stuff like that uh, yeah i mean but it, it never got it it's one thing to talk about it it's another one to to actually do it so um was it controversial yes but it, it was something that because again you know we were trying to appeal to uh uh to, to young people, you, you didn't want to exclude your audience. And once you got into that thing, because Miss Elizabeth was one of the, she was one of the most beautiful women that I ever saw in my life. She was, mm-hmm. she was a knockout, yeah. gorgeous woman. No and doubt about she, it. she was great in that role. She and Randy were, uh, God, they were great. In fact, one of the main events in Madison Square Garden was that that uh, Randy and Liz were getting married in the ring at Madison Square Garden. That was mm-hmm. the main event for that show. And I remember we were on the Garden Network and uh, 
I don't remember like, you know, Randy went first, and you know, because everything he did, you know, he 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 was he was a showman extraordinaire, and then Elizabeth got the 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 uh, the, the big the big entrance, but then once they got in there, uh, you know, that the that the ceremony was very quick, and it wasn't a lot of action. So it wasn't something that could have just been dragged on indefinitely. So it was the last match to go on. And I remember we were on the garden network that was live and going off the air at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and Randy got out there. And of course he was the super showman. She goes out there and they, they, they finally, I think, Oh my God, I'm watching the clock. <laughs> and I'm thinking, get the ceremony in and they finally got the ceremony in and then the, 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 the coup de gras or the was, were he's finally going to kiss the bride and that was going to be the big pop. And Randy's going around, he's looking at the people and I'm thinking, Randy, don't do this to me. I'm looking at my watch and, and thinking, Oh my God, we're going to go off the air before he kisses the bride. And I remember, and then there was nothing I could do. I couldn't go out there and, and signal him, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I just had to, God, I, I, it's one of those moments that still burn in my brain as one of the high pressure moments. And, and all the matches and all the things you've been in, the highest pressure is being in Madison Square Garden on live network and you're worried about running out of time after the wedding before he kisses the bride. Yes, I absolutely am. <laughs> and hmm. he finally dips her and gives her the kiss and dips her with about between five and 10 seconds left before they actually went off the air. Oh, crazy. That, that was crazy and stressful, but, but what a pop. Oh my God. What a pop. Yep. Oh yeah. Very much. Emerald, SummerSlam 91 at MSG, the match made in heaven, the match made in hell. Such <laughs> a uh, great thing. But this specific match with uh, Savage and Flair is just a classic. Anybody obviously hasn't seen it, should definitely go out of the way to see it, yeah. along with Brad Piper. Um, just, just to kind of round out the card, Tatanka defeats Rick the Model Martel. The Natural Disasters defeat Money Incorporated. The, uh, like I mentioned, Earlier, a very short match. Owen Hart defeats the Skinner. And, of course, the immortal Hulk Hogan in his quote-unquote last WWF match defeats Sid Justice by disqualification. But if you remember, Papa Shango comes down, and it seems like he misses his cue because Hogan hits the leg drop, and Sid actually has to kick he's, out. He's late yeah. getting there, yeah. Yep. Was that one of those things where you're just so mad that he was late getting there such a kind of a long way to the ring? What was your thought process at that point? It was frustrating that that, and it's hard to, because of the distance from from behind. It's it's you you think you could time something. And it's hard in a live show like that in a big arena, twenty four, twenty thousand people, twenty four thousand people sold out. And oh no, sixty thousand plus. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're there, and it's in Madison Square Garden, and it's like. Man, this is the big time. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And it's, you know, the the wedding and the ring, and that was all different than, you know, if it's a match, you can, you can, 
you can end a match quickly or whatever. But in this case, it, the, the whole thing was the whole presentation was just much more involved and and basically almost in fact i would make a case that it was totally out of my out of my control out of my hands i could send people out there thinking they had enough time and allow a little cushion then all of a sudden because of how randy is he would go and oh my god and it's like when the thing took place thinking that the whole the wedding is one thing but the final thing after the wedding is you kiss the bride and that was going to be hopefully how we would time it down to be able to you know to go, to go off the air and the network was was live and i i remember being a nervous wreck you know the it finally got down there the wedding was happening and then the, the, the music is playing and the time is going down. We're about to go off the air and he hasn't kissed the bride. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this, the, this, that's the cream on the cake. That, it, we've got to see that spot. And finally he did. And seconds later, we went off the air. <laughs> it was one hmm. of those oh, highly stressful moments, but also an exciting moment, too, to be able to have a wedding and be a main event and have that place sold out and, but Randy was over. My God, he was he was over, and she was too. She was oh, over yeah. too. She was and, big time. And he, you know, he at that point, I mean, they nailed their cue. But as far as WrestleMania eight and Papa Shango, he misses his cue, right? I mean, he kind of screws up the the finish of the match with Hogan. The, you know, no one kicks out of the leg drop. Sid's forced to kick out of the leg drop at that point because Papa Shango yep. a little bit late getting to the ring. Those are the that that is. That is a problem when a finish like that is dependent on somebody having to run from the back and be there between the two and three count to get the right. maximum impact. Yep. And, you know, you, you think you've got it timed out and the guy can get there in such and such a time. And it just, those are the, those are the, the things that will, I have gray hair, <laughs> and if I didn't, mm. that would have caused me to be pre prematurely gray. Uh, but that's those are the things that really make professional wrestling the most fascinating business in the world. Is all these little things, and and it was what year would that have been? Nineteen ninety-two. Okay, ninety-two. So that's eight and nine. That's twenty-seven years ago. It seems like it was yesterday, 27 years ago. Uh, but that's a moment uh, that's that's going to be embedded in time. And and I know there are fans that that will remember because it wasn't just a match. It was there was something more. It was something bigger than that. And the people that were there will remember that they were there. And it's it's just I'm excited just with us talking about it and, and remembering and remembering that, you know, running to the ring, you know, somebody running to the ring and worried about them being late and about to go off the air after the wedding and, and having the wedding is one thing, but then, you know, the wedding isn't complete till the, till the groom kisses the bride and it's a live TV show, live network. They're about to go off the air. The music is playing. Please, 
please, Randy, God damn it, kiss the bride. And he <laughs> did right before we went off the air. Oh. Now, with WrestleMania 8 in the finish, we were talking about, you know, Hogan said Hogan wins via disqualification. And Papa Shango obviously screws up the finish a little bit, but they kind of both are double teamed. Hogan, then the surprise return of the Ultimate Warrior, huge pop. Almost doesn't look like the Warrior. He looks a little bit skinnier. He's got a little bit of haircut still. Huge pop. The music is great. He ran all the way down the huge, huge, long, mile-long entranceway, all the way to the ring, beats up Papa Shango, and said, great pop, great way to end the show with Hogan and Warrior. Shocking to have Warrior come back. And did you hear the same thing that so many people said? Like, oh, that's not the Ultimate Warrior. That's you know a different guy playing because he was skinnier, did have a haircut. Yeah, but when he came, when once he got into the ring, and the streamers off of his biceps, there was you know, in a case like that, you're protective of that persona, so nobody else would have. You know, guys have since, but at that time, nobody else had the things around the biceps with the streamers down. And he would he would run to the ring. He would run back and forth. Then he would stop him uh, inside the ring, and he would shake the ring ropes and jump up and down. I mean, he just did things that were things that were distinctive, distinctively his. Um, it, I get excited. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it was a time where. You know, you were mentioning all those people that were on the card that night, and I sometimes forget how, from a creative standpoint, that you had such depth of talent to be able to work with. And that doesn't, no knock on today's talent, but I can't think of a a recent scenario where you have a talent roster with that kind of depth that were just, you know, because of television, uh, uh, we're all over. And that makes it a little, little, no guarantee because you still have to put things together that excite the people that they want to see. But it sure helps if you've got good talent to work with. I'd say, I would say great talent, not good talent, great talent, exceptional talent. Unbelievable talent roster and i think that's just kind of a, a great stopping point as far yeah. as wrestlemania because we went through the whole card all the unbelievable talent we talked about everybody the aftermath and some of the things that went on we'll definitely talk to in, in the upcoming weeks we'll yeah. talk to you about the steroid scandal jerry Jarrett coming in all these different things yeah. but i mean wrestlemania 8 i loved it i thought you did a great job what would you kind of say thumbs up for it that you, you did a good job and vince was happy with it overall well, I'm, you, I always have put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, I have confidence in my ability, but there are so many things that could go wrong that until you see whatever your plan was unfold and everybody uh, played their part up to what you anticipated that they would, that the response from the crowd was... Everything, because that—that's another thing. You know, you, you a lot of times you you think that something is going to uh, just ignite the crowd. That for some reason that that you don't understand that you don't get that response. Mm. And then there's another time that you have something out there is kind of like well, I'm going to put these two guys together, 
just because I don't have a program for them at the moment and I want to keep them good. So I'm going to put them together and they end up going out there and basically stealing the show every night because there's some chemistry between them and something in, in the audience that sees that, that just elevates that to far beyond what you ever imagined. And that's what, again, makes this business so unique that if I had a book to say, okay, you want to be a success in the wrestling profession? You need this guy that looks like this and does that. You need this guy over here. And then you put them together and do that. No, you might as well trash that book because it wouldn't be worth the pages that it's printed on because the, the ultimate judge and jury are the people that sit out there in the audience. And one, one great example of this was we held off with Hulk and Flair uh, wanting that it was kind of like a dream match that every we thought everybody wanted to see and we held off putting the two of them together and to we in our thinking was this is going to just increase the uh, anticipation and the intensity when they did come together and when they did come together to our surprise, to our shock, we did not get the the response that we thought we were going to get. And and so we then had to suddenly look where we thought this thing was going to run for six months to a year. It would be lucky to go two months. Never could have anticipated that. And to this day, I don't understand why. But again, that's what makes this such a such a unique profession that if 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 we all could figure it out that easily uh, i wouldn't be sitting here now with you in an apartment i'd probably be having a sitting in a mansion on the top of a hill not that i'm not happy where i am because i am i'm perfectly happy but you know if it was easy anybody could do it it's not easy and that's why it, it takes special people with special skills with a lot of help from other people. And, and I've, I've had my share of success, but I also uh, am the first to say that I certainly didn't do it on my own. I, I, I was never the biggest, never the best, never the smartest, but nobody loved the business more than I did or was willing to work any harder than I was. And because of that, I had a lot of people help me along the way. And when I look back, sometimes I just, in the quiet, you know, if I've been out somewhere at a, social function and I come back normally I don't wear my hall of fame rings around the house but I come back in and just sit down for a minute and just look at that and it's god hall of fame ring to me that was baseball in Cooperstown back in those days and and hall of fame only came along much later and it really is uh a very humbling experience. I remember 2012 going to uh, Miami at WrestleMania when the Horsemen were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and getting that ring, and then uh, at the outdoor stadium, uh, looking up with what, 40, 50, 60,000, whatever there it was, it was it was sold out with a lot of people, and we came out and they had stars on the stage, and we all came out and just. I even even then I wasn't prepared for the the 
impromptu response that we got from the people. And I remember looking up, you know, at the upper level of the bowl where I could still see people that were not at the far end, far end people that I, I couldn't see. But up at the top, I could see. And I distinctly remember looking up there and seeing everybody holding up the symbol of excellence, holding up four fingers and thinking, wow, what, a, mag what a magical time this is. And uh, oh, I, I wish this moment could last forever. I love it. Now, as far as some plugs, please go to ProWrestlingTees.com. A Pro Wrestling Tees store has been opened where you can pick up a shirt of a JJ. That is ProWrestlingTees.com slash JJ Dillon. A Patreon page has been set up where you can become a patron and support the show. Also, please check out TMPTEmpire.com. On there, you see a link to the uh, JJ, the JJ Dillon podcast. And on there, you'll see a link for JJ's website jjdillon.com highly recommend you go on there and buy jj's book wrestlers are like seagulls from mcmahon to mcmahon also yep. please email us questions and comments at jjdillonpodcast at gmail.com once again that is jjdillonpodcast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at two man power trip and of course please pay any attention if you see jj dillon around your area Go and meet him for some personal appearances, autograph signs, take a picture, get that symbol of excellence with J.J. Dillon. And John, I I, I want to share with you that 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 um, you know I do a number of personal appearances. They kind of go in bunches, but uh, I, I will sit and and do a signing. And I think you'll be happy to know that a lot of people come up and will tell me, hey. I listened to uh, I listened to your podcast, listened to your show with uh, with John, and and people will tell me how much they in, enjoy it. And among the comments are that um, that, that, that we exude class, which I look as a great great compliment. They say you you know we've heard some of the others, and he said you I never hear you guys swear. I said no, I don't swear at home, so why would I do it here? And the other thing that, that uh, sticks out is that they say, um, we don't go on and knock anybody. This is, that's not our, we don't have, we don't do this show to, uh, to either, uh, create grudges or to, uh, I'm at the stage of life where I don't want to be mad at anybody. And I enjoy doing this show, enjoy talking wrestling, encourage the, the, our, uh, listeners to, to please keep those e emails coming in. Your comments are so valuable to us. I know John feels the same way. To, it, and if there's something you don't like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I, I, I really like constructive criticism. And if there's something that you do like, share that with us too. And if there's something, uh, either a subject matter or a place that I've been in my career or a certain time frame or a certain match even, throw it out there. Because we're always looking for something topic-wise for the show that that we know is something you're interested in. So if you if you throw out an idea, there's a better chance that we're doing a show that uh, you're going to be interested in. And I appreciate you uh, coming in and joining John and I each week because uh, we do it for you. We do it for you, the fan. And bless you. Awesome. And you, kid, join us every Saturday at 
very uh, familiar time, I'm sure, with everybody. And that is for JJ, the JJ Dillon Podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next week, folks. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.